0: We can see from the research that's been coming out recently on the impact of COVID on gender dynamics in the home and at work is that it seems as if the split between work and family where men are associated with work and women are associated with family has become even more exaggerated. It seems to be the case that the family responsibilities, which includes caring for kids but also homeschooling, is falling disproportionately on the shoulders of women. What I've seen is that in families where heterosexual couples both are working, women are working fewer hours than they were before. Fathers, they still are working full time. And so that's going to probably have an impact, you know, on their standing in the workplace and their jobs. Uh, but we haven't really seen how that's going to play out.
1: I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. When I was pregnant with my first child, I thought my employer was one of the good ones because they had family-friendly policies like paid maternity leave, flexible hours, remote work options, and reduced work schedules. We're encouraged to see these policies and programs as benefits. With all these initiatives in place, it's hard to even imagine what else some working mother could want. After all, these programs are how companies demonstrate that they value mothers, right? No. It's not. At first, this might sound a little harsh, particularly given that a lot of companies might not be able to afford these initiatives in the first place. But these benefits don't guarantee that leaders and employees will value and support mothers and fathers equally, which is something that every organization can do. Although these benefits make it easier for women to manage aspects of motherhood, they don't address how mothers will be treated, rewarded, and valued at work. Women who might have been considered for leadership roles often find that their dedication and capability are called into question as they approach motherhood. Simply being at a point in life where society assumes that women might want to have children can stall their career progression. Motherhood is a clear sign that women are betraying the ideal worker standard. When women go on maternity leave, return to work, or take up flexible workplace practices, they face a range of beliefs and behaviors that serve to devalue them, and their contribution. These challenges have never been more difficult to overcome with COVID-19, as women are more likely to care for children and support them with homeschooling while at the same time working from home. Women do all of this and then they're more likely to be penalized for it by their employers as they're perceived to be less committed, ambitious and serious about their work. To support women at work, we need company cultures that provide more than just accommodations, We need leaders who adopt and value family-friendly practices. On this episode, Robin Eli, a professor of business administration at Harvard Business School, will join us to discuss what's really holding women back at work. The Women in the Workplace 2018 study conducted by McKinsey in partnership with leanin.org surveyed more than 64,000 employees and finds that women enter corporations at roughly similar rates to men, at 31% and 36% respectively. However, by the time they reach managerial level, women's representation has dropped to 26% and men's has increased to 52%. This is when the effects of inequality really start to take hold and become evident in the unequal representation of men and women in leadership positions. Attrition doesn't explain this difference, but gender inequality does. Men and women leave organizations at similar rates and have similar intentions to remain in the organization. Very few women and men report any intention to leave work for family reasons. The main difference between men and women is that women are less likely to be hired and promoted into managerial roles. These challenges exist whether women have children or not. The inequality women face at work is intensified for mothers who must overcome additional invisible barriers created from the incompatibility of motherhood and working life. This has become a lot harder to manage with the pandemic. A survey results released by the University College London in July this year found that women across several age groups were primarily responsible for childcare and homeschooling, while those with primary school age children were considerably more likely to have given up work compared to fathers with children of the same age. Women spent more than twice as much time as men on their children's homeschooling and development during lockdown. Here, Robin shares how this incompatibility has negatively impacted women's careers during COVID-19.
0: It's obviously a little bit hard to tell yet what the impact of COVID is going to be on women's progression generally. But what we can see from the research that's been coming out recently on the impact of COVID on gender dynamics in the home and at work is that it seems as if the split between work and family where men are associated with work and women are associated with family has become even more exaggerated because everybody is working at home and the kids are at home and people, families don't have the normal supports that they typically have, like schools and daycare and so forth. And so it seems to be the case that the family responsibilities, which includes caring for kids, but also homeschooling, is falling disproportionately on the shoulders of women. So I guess, you know, I I think that... (laughs) It suggests that at least for these months, and we don't know how long this is going to last, women are more likely to be quitting. What I've seen is that in families where heterosexual couples both are working, women are working fewer hours than they were before. So they're cutting back on their hours. Fathers don't seem to be falling below that 40 hour a week mark. So they still are working full time. Women are, women are working fewer hours. And so that's going to probably have an impact on their standing in the workplace, and their jobs, but we haven't really seen how that's going to play out.
1: If you ask people why women remain underrepresented in leadership positions, the common belief is that high-level jobs require extremely long hours. Women's devotion to their family makes it impossible for them to put in those hours and their careers suffer as a result. But Robin's research has found that women are not held back because of trouble balancing the competing demands of work and family. Men also suffered from the balance problem, but they nevertheless advanced. Women are held back because unlike men, they're encouraged to take accommodations like going part-time, which derailed their careers. The real culprit is a general culture of overwork, which hurts both men and women and locks gender inequality in place. These cultures are built on outdated gender stereotypes, beliefs, and biases.
0: Beliefs and the norms have changed all that much. It's just that with these restrictions and with the constraints that people are now operating under, those beliefs are manifesting themselves and having an even greater impact on you know, the distribution of who's doing what at home. And that's cutting into people's, in particular, women's ability To be working the hours they were working before. The work family narrative is really an explanation that we hear over and over again in companies when we ask people, you know, why do you think women's advancement has stalled? And the typical response that we get is, you know, something. And by the way, I'm specifically talking about stalled advancement of women into high level positions. So, women at the the lower end of the economic spectrum, that's a whole different set of issues. And that's not what we're addressing here. But when we're talking about women's advancement into these high level jobs, the narrative is that these jobs require extremely long hours, 24 7 availability. Basically, the belief in women's devotion to family makes it impossible for them to put in those hours. And so, you know, their careers are going to suffer as a result. So I think in some ways it's the same narrative. It's that now you add on to it the constraints of everybody working from home, of children being in the home and needing to be cared for. The effects of this are just exacerbated. So I think the beliefs are the same. It's just that there aren't the supports in place that enable women in particular, because the responsibility of family does fall disproportionately on their shoulders. It's affecting them more than it is affecting fathers' men.
1: Adopting family-friendly policies is pointless unless employees can utilize them without being penalized. A British survey of over 2,700 parents and non-parents found that 32% of participants believe flexible work hours lower employee's chances for promotion. Also, one out of five workers who used flexible work arrangements in the past 12 months experienced a negative consequence of work, like being perceived as lacking commitment, ambition, and they were unfairly penalized with reduced rewards, pay, and promotion opportunities. This is overwhelmingly an issue faced by mothers who are more likely to say they've experienced negative career consequences due to their own flexible work arrangements. If we want to create cultures that value the contributions of mothers and fathers, we must tackle the negative attitudes and assumptions that leaders hold about working mothers. There
0: is this work-family narrative that is meant to explain why women haven't been advancing and an assumption of the narrative is that it's really only women who have an interest in taking care of their families. And one of the things that we saw in this firm that we were studying is that the men were just as interested in their families. And in fact, because they were not taking accommodations, which were meant to relieve some of the work burden from women so that they could take care of their kids, men were not taking those accommodations. And so they were just basically suffering from the culture. And we heard a lot of really heart wrenching stories from men about what it felt like to be leaving, in particular, their small children who they felt, you know, needed them and they wanted to be with them, but they had to tear themselves away to get to work, to travel, to do all the things that were required of them. So that was kind of our first, you know, indication. There's something about this narrative that isn't really jiving with reality here because it's not just women who are having it. A hard time working these extremely long hours. Men are having a hard time as well. And then when we dug a little bit deeper, what we found was that really across the board, men and women in this consulting firm were experiencing a lot of internal conflict around the 24-7 culture, this, what we call the culture of overwork. And so, you know, basically, the company, like many companies, is asking people, you know, you need to make a choice here. You need to either be a worker or you need to be a family caretaker. And because of the way the culture defines gender roles, it kind of falls onto the shoulders of women to be the ones who are supposed to be the family-oriented ones, and it falls on the shoulders of men who are supposed to be the work-oriented ones. But the reality is that all of these consultants, who is a consulting firm, all of them really felt a strong need for both.
1: Robin's research reveals that what is really holding women back at work is the culture of organizations. Unnecessarily long hours are detrimental to everyone, but they disproportionately penalize women because unlike men, women are more likely to take accommodations, but at a very dear cost to their careers. While COVID-19 has increased remote working or flexible working, the underlying culture of overworking hasn't changed. If anything, it's gotten worse.
0: I'm studying a couple of special service firms even through COVID, not specifically about COVID, but I'm seeing how the culture that I knew they were coming from before COVID is manifesting itself during COVID times. And I have to say, I've not seen much difference. This culture of overwork seems to be carrying right into the home and people seem to be working the same long hours and maybe even longer. I'm not sure for for some of these professionals. And that's what's just so difficult for those with children because they've also got their kids at home. The kids need to be taken care of. They don't have any help. So I think that's where the pressure point comes. But I see a lot of people just kind of barreling their way through and that culture really hasn't changed. I think what companies are attentive to or trying to be attentive to is the fact that people feel isolated from each other. So We might be on Zoom calls all day long, but it's not the same as having face-to-face interaction or walking around the office or, you know, having more casual kinds of conversations. Everything is work and everything starts on time and pretty much ends on time. At least that's been, you know, my experience. Like people are two minutes late for a Zoom meeting and you're sort of like, wow, I wonder if I got the time wrong, you know? So things are just, it's just much stricter. And so I don't really see this culture of overwork. If that was the culture in your company before COVID, my guess is it's the culture now, but with some added stresses because there are no supports and because people are actually not able to connect to each other even in the ways that they did when they were working face-to-face.
1: COVID-19 has provided organizations with an opportunity to rethink not only when or where employees work, but the very cultures that enable how employees work
0: certainly a silver lining around the cloud of covid when it comes to advancing gender equality because if the impact on companies were to really start to you know reckon seriously with the culture that they have created again in particular for people in high level jobs where they're supposed to be available 24/7 and work you know has to take precedence over everything else if companies could begin to see how crazy that is. And that in fact, and we know this from research, that those kinds of cultures, I mean, 24-7 availability, it doesn't actually increase anybody's productivity. So it's not even advantageous to companies. And no matter how many studies get produced, you know, there's just still an unwillingness to believe that there could be something beneficial to a culture that was more sane and that recognized, that people have more interests and more needs in their lives than just work. Work is really important and it's important to everybody. One great thing would be for people to learn, wow, the things we took for granted about how it had to be, we have seen are not necessarily how it has to be. So I would love to see that insight You know, create a wedge, an opening for companies to be able to really step back and say, well, let's look at some other aspects of our culture that May not be working so well in particular for certain groups and see whether we can experiment with changing those and what happens. So that to me would be a really good outcome. A really bad outcome would be, wow, we've learned that people can work from home. So this means they really can be available even more 24 seven, if you will, right? So if you have now the flexibility to work wherever, but there's no ratcheting back on the number of hours that are expected, then I think we can see that culture of overwork just becoming even more exaggerated. I suspect that's what's happening in some companies. And I suspect in other companies, there has been more of a ratcheting back. And I think it depends on just how much the culture of the organization already was acknowledging that people have and need to have and that they want to support them to have a life outside of work. So I think that there has to be a recognition that having a life outside of work is critical. And if there isn't that recognition, then I don't really know that we're going to see anything change other than maybe, as I said, things could get worse. People's expectations for how much people should be working. So just having the flexibility to work wherever you want doesn't actually... I mean, at the margins, that might be better. You're not commuting... You're around if you need to be around in your home. But it's really the number of hours that, that are a problem.
1: Finally, Robin shares one action that every one of us can take to create family-friendly workplace cultures.
0: And One thing that we saw was how men really were kind of in denial at certain points about their own feelings about this culture of overwork and the demands that it made of them. And I think that for men to be allowed to be more in touch with the things that they're losing in these cultures would be important. Also, you know, and I think this is very hard, but everything around us, the whole culture is telling women, in particular, again, women who are at these more high-level jobs, that they really should be home taking care of their kids. That that's kind of fundamentally the message, that if you are working too hard, you are not a good mother the opposite for men. If you're working hard, you're a good father because your role is as the breadwinner. But if your role is the caretaker, like for women, then working those hours is really gonna damage your kids. And so I think just supporting each other not to take those cultural messages in. That in fact, there's no evidence to suggest that working women are less good parents. Parenting is a complex role And it doesn't necessarily require that a parent be at home full-time caring for their kids when they're a certain age. There's just no evidence to suggest that that's the case. Some women absolutely want to do that. Some men want to do that. That's terrific. They should be allowed to do that. But the pressure that we feel to take up these roles and to deny our feelings about, you know, what it feels like to lose out on work, to not be able to live out one's ambitions, if you're a woman, or to lose out on family, if you're a man. I think these are the things that we need individually to to try to fend off. And I think we need to support each other in doing it.
1: I really hope today's episode encourages each of you to reflect on how you support your colleagues with creating a workplace culture that enables each of us to pursue our lives and interests outside of work. If you like this podcast, then this is just a quick reminder before you go that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. You can also sign up to my monthly newsletter or reach out to me for interviews at www.michellepking.com. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.